That was, this is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Coming up, uh, subversely here with Dan Zhang. The opinions expressed on the show are not necessarily those of the regents of the University of California, <laughs> so, uh, nor the regents, uh, nor the management of KUCI. This is Dan Zhang. Today we're going to be uh, bringing you a program in two parts. On the first part, we're going to be talking to the director of a new documentary, an exquisite documentary, uh, on the uh, on the uh, entire um, this um, uh, up the Yangtze. It's called up the Yangtze. It's a cruise ship that uh, traversed the um, whole Yangtze and uh, bringing tourists to look at the river uh, as it wipes out villages in preparation for the Three Gorges project. And so we'll be talking with this young director of this new documentary that's showing in the area. And then we'll be uh, bringing you highlights from this weekend's APIA vote, Asian Pacific Islander uh, vote, Asian Pacific American Islander vote uh, town hall meeting, where a couple of the leading candidates for the president show uh, election uh, showed up or at least showed up um, by phone or on video. So that's coming up as we uh, speak. So we could be uh, bringing this uh, uh, this uh, first we're going to be bringing you the interview with Yong Chang who's the director of uh, the Yangtze. This is Dan Zhang, the host of Subversity. Here with uh, the director of a new film that's uh, opening uh, nationwide uh, in the U.S. Uh, up the Yangtze. Uh, we're talking with uh, director Yong Chang, who's a Canadian uh, Chinese that's right, uh, yeah. director. Um, and the film is quite appropriate given the recent events in China. There have been concern about dams and um, uh, cracks in the dams. And uh, his film is about the uh, flooding, uh, or before the deluge, I guess, or before and during the deluge <laughs> of, the, of the dams that were built, uh, uh, the deluge uh, related to the building of the Three Gorges Dam in China. Mm-hmm. Um, what made you uh, interested in this film, in making this film? Well, I, um, I went actually as a tourist in 2002 on the invitation of my parents and my grandfather. And I went on one of these luxury cruise ships where my film takes place. And that experience, that first experience uh, in, in this region and in Chongqing or Chongqing, which is yeah. where the boat begins its journey, uh, was was really sort of the inspiration, and it, it happened because of a couple things. The, the first thing was arriving in Chongqing in this really magnificent sort of new Hong Kong that's being created uh. there, and it's the largest municipality in the world. 30 million people live in this municipality. That's the population of Canada. Wow. And uh, and And the city at night was lit up in neon lights. And it, to me, it looked like a scene out of a of science fiction film, like like Blade Runner or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we arrived at the port, and we were approaching the cruise ship, and 
Suddenly, out of the middle of nowhere, a marching band appeared in mm. starched white uniforms, and they started to play Yankee Doodle Dandy. It's to welcome the tourists. It's to welcome the tourists. And that moment, that mm. contrast of this science fiction landscape versus the American anthem, you know what I mean? It was very much like this marching song. Uh, to me, it was very surreal to be in China, to see this, to hear this, and to... Um, and to be witness to this sort of um, irony. So, um, after that, uh, were you already a filmmaker? Were you already a filmmaker then? I had just completed my first uh, medium-length documentary with the National Film Board of Canada. Oh, it was, yeah. um, it was called Earth to Mouth. And, uh, and, and that, was, that was... I had graduated from film, uh, studying film I mm. at, the, at Concordia University in 1999. So, yes, I'd been working for a couple of years uh, in, in the film uh, business. So, on this first trip, did you t take a, a movie camera too? You know what? I'm, I, was, <laughs> I knew what I was getting into, so I did. I brought with me a video camera to document initially what was going to be a sort of, um, for me, a surreal ex journey uh, a film more about the culture of tourism mm. and the tourism of culture. Uh, and that was what I initially documented on my first trip. And then it became very clear to me that there was a much bigger story happening and that this cruise boat could in many ways represent um, a kind of microcosm of the world on this boat. Uh, and so I use that as a sort of approach to telling the story. Uh, I was quite uh, intrigued that you didn't just focus on the tourists, mm -hmm. but you also went basically downstairs, I guess, yes, that's right. in the back and uh, looked at the crew that worked on the, this tourist boat. Yeah, I, I thought it was really fascinating that it could be this um, upstairs-downstairs Gosford Park mm. sort of inspired film. And, and for me, that was the greatest irony that while Western tourists from around the world come to wave goodbye to the disappearing landscape of the Three Gorges region uh, because of the flooding by the Three Gorges Dam, the largest hydroelectric project in the world, that right below their very feet uh, are local crew workers who come from families and homes that are actually being flooded. And so uh, that for me was the sort of um, juxtaposition that I wanted to explore. The, the two characters you focused on um, who were uh, from this region... Um, did you pick them specifically for this? Um? Well, I, you know, that, that's, that came about through the recruitment process. Mm. And I found my subjects when the cruise managers go to look for new employees. Mm. They go to all the local river towns and they canvass at the high schools and colleges. And so that's where teenagers or young adults will sign up for an interview and how I met my subjects like Yushui and uh, Jerry and a handful of other subjects mm. as well. Because it's a documentary film, you don't really know what the outcome is going to be, so you kind of hedge your bets and you try to film with as many people as you can and, and see what ends up in, in that period of time that you've allotted to shoot your film. It seems like the, most of the characters uh, just ignore the camera and we're talking to themselves, to each other, mm -hmm. to tourists, um, without playing to the camera. Yes, uh, that's most right. Most of them. Um, except for Jerry. Except for Jerry, <laughs> who's a character. That, that's funny because Jerry was a, a very... Um, uh, kind of performative sort of person and no matter how hard I tried to not have him look into the camera he would and then at a certain point I just decided that that was his the nature of his personality and yeah. and, and I think it works very well for to have him you know constantly addressing the camera or you know the, this that kind of performance that he puts on 
So uh, that I think contrasts well with very well with Yu Shui and her her personality and um, and she's quite uh, shy and uh, reserved and doesn't say a lot in the film, but just through her physical emotion, you do get a lot a, a very deep picture of and uh, her facial her, her facial expressions exactly. especially. Uh, for Jerry, he uh, he's described as a, a single child, a I little mean, emperor, a little emperor, mm-hmm. off, uh, offspring of a, a family that only had one ch- a child. Mm-hmm. And but isn't that true with most of the children now? Yeah, <laughs> these days in urban areas, especially who, because of the one-child policy, they. Well, I think I think that's that's in, that is a um, it's been a uh, kind of a a commentary that I think Westerners are interested in exploring, this sort of one-child policy syndrome. I think the one-child policy is, is interesting for a lot of Westerners because it is a phenomenon mm. where you have a whole generation of children, and I would say post-Mao children, growing yeah. up in a world of economic reform. And given that, they are, um, they are growing up with individual sort of characteristics and, and to some people think, you know, in their opinion, is uh, growing up as sort of um, individualistic uh, s- somewhat, uh, you know, one-track-minded kids, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I think that's that. That on the other hand, though, the the many one-child children that I know mm-hmm. in China, in fact, are are from a very tight support group, and what you have in these one-child families is a very, uh, you know, um, uh, I would say, present uh, family that is connected through cousins mm-hmm. and relatives. And in fact, a lot of these kids grow up in a world where their cousin is like their sister or their brother. And so I think that there is a real, uh, you know, sort of family unit, family, va- family value. And I would say it's deeply still rooted in Confucianism. Uh, but for someone like Jerry, who's an extreme example, I think, of, a, of someone who's uh, kind of left to his own defenses, uh, that, there, that he is not unusual, that there are other people like him. His supervisor uh, mentions that he seems to be self-centered and uh, selfish mm. and and doesn't get along with the other staff. Mm-hmm. Was that something he volunteered? Was that in a script or something? There's no script, right? No, there is no script. <laughs> and, and so that, that came about through the manager's request that he wanted to uh, convey a message to Jerry. And he took mm. it upon himself, you know, throughout the film to be uh, very interactive and sort of like a, a father figure on that mm-hmm. boat. And so the manager is, whose name is Spencer, uh, was was a very interesting personality that uh, I I was I thought was um, um, kind of he was on this mission to 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 use this ship as a university of life, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. if you didn't adhere to those rules, mm-hmm. where you, uh, which was a I think a, a combination of Western. Uh, Westernization meets Confucianism. Uh, uh-huh. It was um, uh, if you didn't reach that level of understanding, then t- then you were not welcome on that boat. Uh, so uh, also Jerry was very blunt about how he could get money uh, from the tourists mm-hmm. in terms of um, you know pocket money, I guess, uh, or tips. Right, and and you know I think Jerry's a very honest uh, person <laughs> uh, in that w- respect that he. Uh, I mean, he he caught the capitalist bug, mm. and he wanted to, um, he you know he, he he figured it out, and and uh, and I think to his credit, he was able to get a thirty dollar U S dollar tip, and uh, which is phenomenal for carrying uh, luggage of a for carrying luggage and being yeah. a, a charming man, and he was the cutest guy probably <laughs> <in terms of laughs> exactly. The tourists probably re- uh, he, he is a, struck a, by him. He's a, right. He's a very charming person and. Uh, 
and uh, and you know, quite a nice guy as well. Do you know what happened to the, these your characters after? Yeah, I film? well, the first thing I did when I finished the film was to to go back to China, and to Chongqing, and show the film to all the subjects. So wow. And, and as a documentary filmmaker, that's I think a very crucial step. That's cool. Yeah. Before you even show the film to an audience, and so uh, Yu Shui saw the film, and she was very emotional when she saw the movie. You can imagine watching yourself depicted in a documentary film, how uh, awkward that could be. And so she wrote to me, and a couple weeks later, I received an email from her that said through the film she was able to see her fate and her destiny, mm. and that in fact she decided to leave the cruise boat mm-hmm. and go back to high school. Oh wow! And uh, our production company helped to pay for the rest of her okay. high school education, and since then we've you know begun a fund for the family, and we're trying to give back uh, mm. you know to 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 everything that they've they've that we were able to bear witness to that, that now we're able to create a fund and audiences can now donate money mm. to oh, give good. back to the family. He, he, she has two siblings, right? That's right. She has a younger brother and a younger sister. And are they uh, going to go to school or? They are attending school now, and mm-hmm. I think with the money we've raised, we're going to help the other children mm-hmm. in the family. And uh, the father is currently uh, getting a, a cataract operation, uh, mm-hmm. which is through money we've raised for the family as well. Did they move to uh, th- their home? Was um, depicted as being flooded. Yes. Uh, did they wa- were they able to find um, well, housing somewhere else? In the film, you see them move to another uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. another apartment, and so that's where oh, right, right, they right, are right. living in. They they live in this uh, rental apartment, and I think it's the equivalent of about uh, seven or eight uh, U.S. dollars a month. Mm. Uh, but that's quite uh, quite expensive, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. considering the father makes about two hundred U.S. dollars a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, that's where they are right now. So did. Did they? Um, why did they let you film them? I guess initially the whole family. I mean, well, it doesn't happen immediately. And I think, as a filmmaker and a documentary filmmaker, you have to sort of build that intimacy, that relationship, where they trust you, and and so that you're not exploiting your subject. I think it's very important to maintain a, a long-term relationship mm, with the family. Mm, and mm. so I spent time very clearly explaining the film and what I was going to do, uh, and. I think they trusted me because of that, because because I wasn't going to just leave and disappear. Did uh, you speak the local dialect? Or? Well, I speak Mandarin, and mm. I used a, a local Chinese crew from Beijing, and one of them was actually from Hubei, so he mm. could speak the local dialect, and mm. uh, that was very important, that we were communicating in a language that was comfortable for the family. And actually, they speak Fengduhua, so it was... Oh, uh, from that area. A, a total diff- totally different yeah, dialect. Um, yeah. So... Uh, I would speak in Mandarin, and they would re- reply back in um, Fengduhua, and then we would just work that way. But when she wrote to you later in the email, did yeah. she write in Chinese? She wrote to me in Pinyin. Oh yeah, I can read Pinyin. You can read, huh? Yeah, yeah. Oh cool. But not Chinese, Pinyin only. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not the traditional characters, you mean? Not traditional. Yeah, yeah. And um, did the family? F- uh, what did was their reaction to the film? Well, uh, I think that. Um, they were kind of awestruck, I think, by the uh, by seeing themselves depicted mm-hmm. in a movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, that's a wholly different sort of concept and uh, not easy to explain to a family that uh, doesn't have a television or <laughs> watch, uh, yeah. you know, th- there's no electricity in there. Yeah, know? yeah. So yeah. Uh, I think I think it was uh, an interesting experience for the father, but and also uh, quite emotional because he was seeing a perspective. Uh, through Yushui that he'd never 
been uh-huh, witness to, uh-huh. and I think that was stimulating. Uh-huh. And I think that also the family felt, and this was initially in the research process when I was building that relationship, that they, that I could be a sort of mentor to the girl. Oh, I see. Yeah, because she was leaving to go to work, and yeah. I would be there to to make sure nothing would happen. Did she feel it was a, like a dead end job or something? That's yeah. Well, I think um, yeah. it was never her dream to have to wash dishes. Right. She didn't like that. And yeah. her real dream, as she says in the film, is to was to become a scientist or something. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're put in a position being the eldest in the family. She has to take care. She's, there's a responsibility for her. And um, and it's sort of a filial duty, and yeah, um, yeah. and 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 so she begrudgingly has to go through that process. And I think she learned a lot, though, uh, through the the year while she was on that boat. Uh, and I think she matured and she transformed in a way. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and in a funny way, as a filmmaker, we were it was sort of like a social experiment to be there to see this transformation happening. How about the other guy? Then what happened to him? Uh, Jerry? The guy, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I'm not even worried about Jerry. <laughs> in fact, uh, he um, he saw the film and felt that there should have been more of him in the movie. <laughs> uh, so uh, he hasn't changed much. I, I'm still in touch with him. And his uh, English is quite good. Oh, he's film, he's yeah. very smart. Uh, yeah. And 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 I even thought when I first met him that he was, he had actually studied in the states or something like that mm. because he was so. Um, Westernized. So he picked it up from tourists. No, that was his. The, that was his first time on the cruise ship. So he learned English while studying in in uh, his city, oh. which was uh, Kaixian. Kaixian. Yeah. yeah. Did you hear from them since the earthquake recently? Yeah, I, you know, I ah. I made a phone call and uh, mm. got in touch with everybody. Did they uh, feel it? It's about. F- they uh, did. It's four hundred and seventy-two miles from the epicenter. That's right, and they uh, did feel it. Uh, uh, it the wasn't Gorges area, right? Yeah. Th- they, there was aftershocks or, or whatever. I, actually, no, they felt the earthquake. The initial oh, wow. the earthquake lasted, uh, I think, ten ten plus minutes, and uh, oh. and uh, they they f- they were they felt it, but no damage and nobody was harmed. Mm, mm, mm. The um, do do you plan to go back and uh, do um? Oh, actually, you shot a lot of other footage that you might put in DVD, right? Because you said yeah, there are right. some protests. Yeah, there were I protests, shot uh, more protests. You showed some in the uh, in, in the, the film. Movie. But I, I shot yeah. about uh, two hundred plus hours of footage, and that's a lot. Yeah, and, uh, and imagine trying to cut that down to a nine ninety minute film. It was a challenge. We spent about eight months editing the film, and I let's see. I, I did follow a couple other strands uh, storylines. Uh, one of them was a family of protesters who mm-hmm. were protesting the land development of their ancestral tombs because the local government wanted to build apartment complexes, relocation apartments, on top of their land. Uh, and they protested that and, and managed to get compensation in the end. Mm. Uh, I didn't put it into the film. And there were some other subjects like that that I followed. You do show a shopkeeper uh, crying, actually, yes. relating what happened to him you when know, they, they tried to move his house. Yeah, that, what's interesting about that, the, the shopkeeper, is that, in fact, he, he's an antique dealer, mm-hmm. and he's selling the castaway items of the relocatees. Oh. Uh, I found him, and, and when I found that out, I, I thought that was, I, I thought that that was very emblematic and yeah, yeah, interesting, yeah. and so we, we interviewed him casually, and then suddenly it became something much more than that. And I think that's sort of the magic of being allowed to 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 shoot and 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 film and and things happen that are unexpected uh oftentimes the camera is almost like a mirror into somebody's soul mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and and dare i say it's also sort of therap like a therapist uh, in a in a way and i'm not there to 
and I'm not a licensed therapist or something, but in <laughs> a way, the, the camera can do that. It can it brings out people's emotions, uh, and because I think it gives an outlet, you know, to to talk and to let out this this emotion, this pent up emotion. How did the tourists react when they figured out you were doing a film? You had to tell them, I suppose. Yeah, you know, I was very clear from from the get go. At every uh, journey on the cruise ship, I would announce to the tourists that I was here on making a film, and and this is what the film was about. And if they didn't want to be filmed, that they should tell me. But there was a very, you know, pretty strict process of having release forms signed. Oh, oh. and uh, and you know what? Uh, I would say ninety-eight percent of the tourists that I met were very willing to to give mm. me interviews and to be a part of the film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In fact, a lot of uh, tourists now come to see the movie. Yeah. Uh, many tourists who have been on the Yangtze River on this very boat, or yeah. who will be going, and uh, and it's interesting that uh, it adds another sort of level or perspective for their experience. Yeah. And uh, because I think you get a very certain uh, perspective when you're taking that cruise ship. One one of the books that have been written about the Three Gorges is called Before the Deluge by Deirdre uh, Chatham. Mm -hmm. And she writes in the preface, she was also um, on a cruise ship before she became an academic. Mm -hmm. And she said there were sometimes the crew would yell out a dead person and there were dead bodies floating down the oh Yangtze. Did you see any of that? <laughs> no, I didn't see any of that. Uh, <laughs> I think that was many, probably many years ago when when, uh, when it was a bit more... Um, uh, I think now that the river is flooded, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's much different in terms of controlling that sort of... Uh, that sort of I, I you know what I have no idea I've never yeah. seen a dead body I've seen shoes floating in the water oh, and yeah. uh, things like that but no dead bodies yeah he <laughs> she was saying that the waiters said don't look at it because it bring you bad luck <laughs> oh, so wow. they looked and then looked away I guess mm. and it was a, a luxury ship that was uh, I guess cruising the Yangtze well before the flood the the water the river was very treacherous you know and uh, oh, yeah. and would um, and be very diff- some areas are very difficult and dangerous to pass through mm. and, uh, and I think it was a you know even 15, 20 years ago, it was a different situation. And now it's, because it's higher, the sea level, right? Well, it's almost become a a reservoir. It's Mm. like a lake. So now it's very calm water and Mm. controlled. Mm. And and that, uh, and in that way, it's, um, I don't think you'll have many of these sort of catastrophes unless there's a problem with the dam or an earthquake around there. Yeah. She says that um, um, it started actually, the plan, now thinking about this started in 1911, 19 or something oh, yeah. with Sun Yat-sen. Yes, that's, that's right. I mean, this 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 idea for damming the Yangtze River is, mm. has been around for quite a while, even before Sun Yat-sen. I've heard mm. uh, that, oh, I forget what dynasty, but an emperor had once dreamed mm-hmm. uh, also mm-hmm. Of, mm-hmm. of damming the river or controlling the river and harnessing its power. Mm-hmm. And, um, and since Sun Yat-sen, I think it was uh, an idea that was very, very um, uh, seriously thought about and uh, and they even and that was because I think Sun Yat-sen had hired an, uh, or brought an American engineer right, to right. look for the location for this dam, and he had picked this specific spot where the dam now is and hmm. is built, uh, which is unfortunately on top of two major fault lines. Yeah, uh, but um, but uh, uh, that's that's how the history goes. So this is like a film about progress. And the uh, kind of a, yeah, what happens uh, <laughs> when there's progress, I guess. I guess so. I think that's a film about a lot of things. And um, one level is the idea of, uh, for us to question the idea of progress. Mm-hmm. 
I'm not in this film. I'm not. I'm not hammering hammering you over the head about what to think. I think. I think the power of cinema is to allow you,、mm-hmm. the audience, to make a decision,、uh, or be provoked. And and I hope that's what this movie does. It's. It's. It neither takes a, a, a very hard line. I think it's not a judgment. I didn't take a judgmental approach.、Uh, I think for me, and I hope through the film, it's a very conf- conflicted experience. I mean. For one thing, as being a Chinese Canadian, I think I'm very sensitive to both sides of the story, and I mean it's very easy for Westerners to label things in black and white terms and、mm-hmm. to say that progress is bad and and look at because of this dam. But then when you flip to the other side, and as I did, and had the experience of being on the ground with with these、uh, Three Gorges migrants and experience what they were going through in terms of some people like Yushui having the opportunity to work on a boat. Uh, to make triple, quadruple the income that her father makes in a year,、mm-hmm. in one month,、uh, I think you start to think about how complex the idea and the notion of progress is,、uh, and and that was what I wanted to present: the the conflicts,、uh, the complexity of 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 modernization. It's not just a linear progression; it's, no, it's more、not. complicated than that. I think it's very, very complicated, and and. And then on another level, my film speaks about perspectives. I think uh,、mm. uh, about how one sees another culture and how the other culture sees the culture that is、yeah. being the observer. And I found that being ver- to be very interesting, and in fact, almost illuminating how how、uh, how just how much miscommunication there is. Yeah, were you reacting against、uh, the kind of the tourist kind of? Tourism type kind of films that would show the Yangtze and the beautiful mountains and all that stuff. Yeah, I think that、uh, I didn't want to convey another Disney World,、uh, mm. Disneyland ride. I, I think what I wanted to、mm. give was,、uh, as I had experienced on that tourist ship, it was、uh, it was very nostalgic and romanticized. And I think,、uh, you know, I met a bartender when I first went on that on that first cruise experience, and this bartender told me that his mother or his grandmother would rather be f- drowned. By the flooding water, than have to move from her ancestral、mm. home. Yeah. When I heard that, and 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 was sitting in this, this you know,、uh, ersatz sort of cruise ship experience, I realized that、uh, there was something else going on beyond the guardrail of the ship. That when you peel back the layer, you, there's there's a whole other world that we don't, or as Westerners, it's it's very difficult to understand. And so it was my job, I think, as a filmmaker, to to、uh, to show the other side and、um, to present. Uh, to present a human story、uh, instead of a, a stis,、uh, like a statistical sort of representation of the Three Gorges Dam, that was not my goal. Were people actually compensated for th- for losing their homes and, well, and getting the, new homes? Yeah, certainly. There were about two million people moved, and I think the number has doubled、uh, as of last fall、uh, to four million people、mm. that have to now be relocated. And、um, and you know, it's it's such a huge. Uh, I think the largest uh, m- s- uh, pilgrimage I- induced by mankind uh, uh, that、um, because of an environmental project that、uh, it's hard to fathom that number and in, in, and see that number in,、mm-hmm. in a in a realistic term. But、uh, people were compensated. People were given money. People were given new land. People were moved to new provinces entirely, where they were given jobs and factories.、Mm. But the question is really. How do you put a monetary value on、yeah. your ancestral homeland, or your, or your ancestral farmland, or your 
your business that you've had for you know 50 years or from generation to generation it's very very difficult and so it's met with quite a lot of controversy and people are voicing that their their dissatisfaction with the compensation process because it's overwhelming it's such a huge endeavor that uh, i think the chinese government is now realizing the major challenges that they've been faced with is the state media reporting any of the dissent yes yes definitely huh. I, I um you know what i realized shooting the film being chinese working with the chinese crew was that in many towns and villages we would p- pull out our camera and in fact people would think we were from the local media and would tell us about the local corrupt official <laughs> they would tell us about their the problems with the uh, compensation so it was um it's interesting that the 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 and the t- television networks in, in China are very much aligned with the central government. Yeah. And so a lot of the problems really do happen more down on a local yes. level. Yeah. And so uh, um, one way, and, and the sort of Chinese way of petitioning, is to petition to a, a news station. Yeah. And so uh, there is opinion being voiced about the Three Gorges mm-hmm. Dam and, and its problems. And it's not illegal to do that. Did you... Um did you have to have trouble any any trouble getting um, working permits there or, or film? We permits? did not shoot with permission. And oh, there's a loophole huh. in this in the censorship bureau where Jilupian or documentary doesn't fit in the uh, in in one of their definitions of a film. So we're able to shoot without permission. And I basically because I was surrounded by a Chinese crew, uh, and these are very talented documentary filmmakers from mainland China. And, th- and I must say that there is a, a real tradition of documentary filmmaking right now yeah, coming yeah. out of China that uh, they really knew the terrain and how to shoot. Uh, they were my safety gauge, and they yeah. allowed me uh, to feel comfortable in shooting the film. And, and, and so uh, I think that's the way to do it. That's amazing. Yeah. How did you uh, find the, the film crew? It's funny. I found the film crew uh, through my producers, who are not Chinese. <laughs> oh, yeah. In fact, uh, they had shot a film... In, in Beijing and hired a cinematographer who would, uh, was a recent, uh, a recent graduate of the Beijing Film Academy. Mm. And I met with him, and he turned out to be a perfect fit, a perfect match. We shared the same uh, tastes in film, which is an, a love of uh, Taiwanese cinema, mm. a love of Jia uh, Zhangke mm. and his films. Uh, and so based on that alone, the idea that we were making cinema, not documentary, that was uh, mm. a real, I think, a real good uh, connection, uh, and we and we collaborated on making this film. So, if you showed it back, um, would you do you think it would get shown in China, uh, kind of at theaters? I mean, uh, well, we've shown it in China. In fact, mm. we've shown it in Beijing to a uh, an environment of uh, a screening for producers and filmmakers, and and mm. as a result of that screening, uh, it was very successful. And we're now looking at working with a Chinese producer and. Uh, releasing the film on a more mm. uh, national level in China, whether it be on television or, or theatrically. Mm-hmm. But I just found out that we'll be at the Guangzhou International Documentary Film Festival oh, wow. in the winter. Oh, and in, in, in winter would be what? Next year? Uh, I think it's around, uh, yeah, I think it's around Late January, January, December, yeah. January. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. And uh, in terms of uh, DVDs, uh, Zeitgeist is going to release it in the U.S.? In the U.S., our distribution company is Zeitgeist Films, based in New York, and they, are, um, they will be... Uh, uh, first, I think our concentration is to put the word out about our theatrical release. Uh, sure. Since because we're an independent film, <laughs> it's so difficult. We don't have this sort of prints and ad budget, so we really depend on the word of mouth of uh, the audience uh, to, to tell people about this movie um in cinemas and uh, eventually i think 
in the fall or late fall we're going to have a DVD. But mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I think you know I think this experience of this movie is much more a, a cinematic experience that needs to be seen on the big screen uh, yeah. to, to really fully immerse yourself. Especially the crossing the river. I think you make allusions to uh, other films that have done river crossings mm-hmm. and <laughs> other documentaries, and uh, it's it looks different, definitely. Yeah, it's, that, a, it's, 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 it's amazing when you can actually project uh, the dam at the kind of scale and magnitude that it really is. Uh, and uh, and I think that's important. I think I think watching movies in cinemas is very important. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's a whole different sort of immersion, and uh, I like it. Did, uh, did you want to do films as a kid? Or? You know, I, yeah. I was thinking about that recently because someone asked me, how, how long have I been thinking about making films? And I have been making documentaries since I was in high school, in fact. Mm-hmm. The first film I made was, a, uh, was a, a f- like almost an hour-long documentary called, wow. very simply, Jazz. Huh. And, <laughs> and it, was, uh, uh, it was a horrible documentary, but, uh, you know, my first experience in, in putting something together where I went and interviewed people and filmed the local jazz, uh, school jazz team as they went to perform at a mm. festival and they won the festival. And so it was sort of like a cinema verite documentary, but mm-hmm. I didn't even know what that meant at the time. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so that was uh, that was my first experience. Did your f- parents um, support you in your endeavor, your film and uh, film career? Uh, yeah, yeah. In mm. fact, um, I don't think I could have done it without their constant sort of uh, in- encouragement, and uh, and that is that is very special. That uh, if you can have your parents behind you, supporting you, then uh, then I think. Um, uh, well, they're very special, I think, and uh, I thank them so much for even introducing me to the Three Gorges Dam and the Yangtze River. For it was them who brought me on the cruise ship, so I I, uh, I owe it to them. <laughs> sure, for sure. How about in uh, being a filmmaker in Canada? Do you see it? Is it? Uh, and you've you've worked uh, in New York also in mm-hmm, a, play, in a play, right. uh, play playhouse. I studied at the Neighborhood Playhouse yeah. in New York. I studied theater there, and uh, I studied a technique called the Meisner technique. Oh yeah, what is Meisner technique? Well, Meisner is an offshoot of the Stanislavski uh, method, and um, it's it's just a it's not a voodoo or anything like that, but it's much more a, a, a sort of way to learn how to communicate, um, to be um, to be emotionally present, mm. uh, and and I learned to use that in directing this film. In fact, communicating with the subjects in the movie, who are who are you know, Yushui and her family, very reserved um, mm. Chinese family, to be able to find the subtext within a moment and and then bring out the real emotion underneath. Uh, and I think Meisner somehow taught me how to do that. Hmm. And uh, is there a difference? Do you see a um, difference in support for independent film in the U.S. versus Canada? Oh, definitely. I mean, in Canada, we're a government-funded, government-supported sort of industry, film industry and and Canada in fact is is the country where documentary was founded uh, at the National Film Board of Canada and this is a great old institution founded by John Grierson and with the National Film Board support as a co-producer mm-hmm. on my film they helped me make this movie and and so we had funding from the, the government of Canada and also from uh, creative funding agencies uh, like uh, the Quebec uh, Society of uh, of Culture called Sodec, and, uh, and consequently money from broadcasters around the world, including uh, National Geographic and PBS. Did it help being Asian? 
Uh, in what way? To get money? Yeah, get money. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I don't think so. I, I think that uh, I, hope, I hope I paid my dues. And so um, mm-hmm. it, it took a long time. It was not a fast and immediate process to get the money to make this film, which is my first feature documentary. It took me four years to make mm-hmm, this movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And most of those four years were spent looking for financing. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's not easy anywhere. I think uh, you really have to prove yourself uh, as a filmmaker, I think, more more so than anything else. For sure, for sure. I was just thinking that in Canada there's this uh, kind of uh, focus on multiculturalism, right, I guess. That's right, yeah. So I thought, would that have anything to do with this film, it's supporting this type of film, I mean? I think that uh, Canada has been, you know, through the National Film Board and and their support of minority filmmakers, mm. I think that I did manage to get my foot in the door, and I think I would have had a much more difficult time if it had been otherwise. I'm very lucky that my producer at the Film Board, Jermaine Wong, a, mm. a Chinese-Canadian, uh, took me under her wings and, and mm-hmm. sort of um, uh, saw some something, I guess, in in my ability as a filmmaker. And uh, and so uh, I think... I think that helped. I think perseverance helps as well. I mean, you know, filmmakers come and go, uh, and film schools churn out, yeah. uh, you know, so many uh, people that uh, I think if you really have it in you, then you just kind of have the that uh, that passion that you can't deny. So you just keep working at it, and and that's what uh, I guess I went through. Do you have a website now for the film? Yeah, the website is uptheyangzi.com. That's with a Z-E or Z-E, as you say in America. And um, so um, the website has the play dates uh, throughout the U.S. And and we're opening here in Los Angeles and uh, Encino, Santa Ana, and Pasadena beginning this Friday, May 16th. That's great. Well, thank you very much. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Appreciate it. We've been talking with uh, Yong Chang, who is the director of Up the Yangzi. Um, a brilliant film um, documenting the travails of the people living along the Yangtze who were uprooted by the flooding that had to do with the building of the great uh, three, the big three gorges dam. This is Dan Zhang. Uh, that was our interview uh, taped uh, on Thursday last week. Uh, the film is showing locally at South Coast Village in Santa Ana. That's the Up the Yangtze, and we were talking with the director, Yong Chang. Now we're going to switch to another topic. Uh, over the weekend on Saturday, there was a historic town hall meeting where Asian Pacific Islanders, Asian American Pacific Islanders, showed up, activists and community um, development activists and community activists, um, as well as elected officials at UC Irvine, uh, to listen to the candidates for president, not the third-party candidates, but the two, uh, the, the two-party mainstream candidates. And um, although John McCain did not show up, sent a surrogate, um, but um, Obama, Barack Obama, did call in, and also Hillary Clinton did appear on video. So we're going to hear that. A little bit of each of those two candidates as they reach out for the ethnic vote. Good afternoon, everyone. I want to thank the 
distinguished guests and community leaders gathered at the APIA Vote Town Hall. And I especially want to commend John Chung, California's controller and co-chair of my campaign in California, for all of his hard work on my behalf and for such a kind introduction. I so regret I cannot be with you in person today, but I'm pleased that I can participate in this historic event by satellite. I know this is your first presidential town hall focused on the concerns of Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders and all of the issues confronting you and your families. And I want to applaud and support APIA Vote for your efforts to ensure that this vital community has a voice in our political process. This is a perfect time to host this forum. After all, May is Asian Pacific American Heritage Month when we show appreciation for the rich diversity and history of the AAPI community and celebrate your sacrifices and accomplishments which have helped to build our country and make it stronger. You deserve a president who will recognize your contributions and value your communities. A president who will stand up for you, represent you, bring your voices to the White House. And you know that's what I'll do, because it's what I've always done. I've worked for many years with the AAPI community to promote policies that address your needs and answer your concerns. Pursuing comprehensive immigration reform, affordable health care for everyone, civil rights, an education system worthy of our children, an economy that strengthens the middle class and promotes the interests of small businesses. And that's just the beginning. Recently, I pushed in the Senate to finally grant benefits to the brave Filipino veterans who fought under the United States flag during World War II. These benefits were promised, but were unjustly denied shortly after the war, and I urge the House to act quickly to pass this important legislation. I'm proud to represent a vibrant AAPI community in New York as a senator, and I rely on my supporters in the community for advice and leadership in my campaign. As you know, I've met with members of the communities from one end of our country to the other on the campaign trail. And I want to encourage you to join Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders for Hillary at my website, HillaryClinton.com. Again, I am honored and grateful for this opportunity to participate in this forum. You have submitted some questions for me, and I'd like to take this opportunity to answer them. Your first question addresses the issue of comprehensive immigration reform. I believe we need such a system of reform that creates a, an immigration system that is fair, secures our borders, keeps families together, eliminates the backlogs, puts undocumented immigrants on a path to citizenship, and provides for reunification for families. I believe immigration is the lifeblood of America and that our current immigration system is in crisis. It's estimated that over 12 million undocumented immigrants live in the United States and there are one and a half million Asians currently caught in the family immigration backlog. A lot of people disagree on the issue of immigration, but almost everyone can agree. Our current immigration laws are badly in need of reform, and the solutions need to be fair. So as your president, I'll work to enact that comprehensive immigration reform that respects the rule of law, our immigrant heritage, and our American values. I'll ensure we protect the sanctity of families and repair the broken, unfair bureaucratic system that forces lawful immigrants to live apart from their families. I'll work to establish a fairer process for people seeking to come to America, especially for those whose families have been torn apart. And in addition, I'll ensure that people who learn English, pay fines, have earned a path to 
legalization in our country. Now we're going to have to toughen security at our borders and hold accountable employers who hire undocumented immigrants. But this is an issue that must be addressed. And as your president, I will begin to do so immediately upon taking office. Your second question addresses the issue of health care and asks what steps I'll take to address how uh, we finally close the gap in health disparities, ensure that low-income migrant and small business owners can afford health insurance. While many factors, such as the environment, contribute to the disparities in health outcomes, no factor matters more than access to health insurance. That's why I propose a universal health care plan to provide quality, affordable health care to every single American. My plan requires the development and testing of quality measures targeted at eliminating racial and ethnic disparities in health care and to make sure that we have the health care professionals that every community needs. I will direct the Department of Health and Human Services to develop a uniform reporting format for collecting quality information on race and ethnicity so we know the full extent of the problem and measure our progress in addressing it. I will provide $50 million to develop culturally competent clinical care programs and to recruit a diverse healthcare workforce. Language barriers and unfamiliarity with the American healthcare system can impede communication between healthcare professionals and patients, and that as a result may impair uh, the access to medical help or even discourage people from seeking it. Under my plan, I'll work to ensure quality healthcare is affordable and accessible to all Americans including those who are unemployed and self-employed. People who like their health care plans, if they have them, can keep them. But those who don't have coverage or are not satisfied will be able to choose from among the same plans available to members of Congress or opt into a public plan option like Medicare in a new national insurance pool. Under my plan, people will not lose their coverage if they change or lose their jobs. And people who can't afford health care will receive a generous refundable tax credit so their premiums never exceed a certain percentage of their income. And, of course, small businesses, which are so important, will receive a tax credit for providing health care to their employees. This aspect of my plan will help small businesses better compete and create new jobs with health benefits that stay right here in the United States. Your third question addresses the issue of the immediate foreclosure crisis and strategies to address the broader problems of the lack of affordable housing predatory lending, and limited resources for community economic development for underserved and disenfranchised communities. Owning a home has long been an important part of the American dream, and I want to help AAPIs realize that dream. But buying a home is not an easy process, and as we've seen recently, unregulated lenders often use complexity to profit at new homeowners' expense. In March of last year, with the housing crisis on the horizon, I call for expanding face-to-face -face mortgage counseling, eliminating unfair fine print rules that hurt homeowners, increasing access to safer federally backed loans. Recently, I announced my support for expanding Federal Housing Administration guarantees. That has the potential to help millions of families stay in their homes. I was the first of the presidential candidates to support a simple reform that could free up more funds to help state housing agencies and help families refinance and that's included in the housing legislation that just passed the Senate. They also called for a voluntary interest rate freeze and a 90-day foreclosure timeout to give families time to get back on their feet. And finally, I called for a stimulus package that includes $30 million in state and local grants to support community refinancing programs, anti-blight initiatives, and foreclosure counseling services.
It is my goal to ensure all Americans have access to affordable housing. And in many areas around the country, housing housing costs have far outgrown inflation. And the gap between wages and housing is widening. That pushes affordable housing beyond the reach of many working families. So I propose an agenda to put affordable housing within reach for low and middle income Americans. I want to have a $1 billion fund to provide federal support to housing trust funds that are established by state, county, and municipal governments. Your fourth question asks about my commitment to ensure that my administration includes senior level representatives of Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. Throughout my career, I've always hired staff members that reflect the diversity of America. 20% of my campaign staff is made up of the APIs, who serve in high-level positions, including the director of all my policies near a tandem. I'll have the same commitment to diversity in mind when I select the people to serve in my administration. My government, the White House, and all the departments and the courts will truly reflect America's diverse backgrounds and values. Uh, that was uh, Hillary Clinton speaking Saturday at UCI by satellite at this town hall meeting of APIA vote um, that was at the Brand Center. Next, we're going to be uh, listening to um, the talk given by um, by Barack Obama, who uh, called in by telephone and was able to um, talk about his uh, vision for America. Uh, including um, his identification as a Pacific Islander. He was born in Hawaii and grew up in Indonesia. So he he, um, felt that he himself was rightly called an API, uh, Asian Pacific Islander. Um, So we can listen to what he has to say um, shortly. This is, you're listening to uh, Subversity here? on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. The opinions expressed on the show are not necessarily those of the regents of the University of California, nor the management of KUCI. We're broadcasting uh, excerpts from the historic town hall meeting um, that gathered Asian Pacific Islanders from all over the U.S., elected officials and community activists, to UC Irvine on Saturday to hear from presidential candidates, the mainstream ones, uh, and two of them did uh, present their views, and they were both from the Democratic Party, and we will be listening to them shortly. Yeah, it's, uh, let's hear Barack Obama. <laughs> Senator, you're on. Thank you. 
generation, uh, a better life for children and grandchildren. That's what the American dream is about. Uh, you represent that. That's what I'm fighting for in this campaign. And, uh, if we work hard uh, in the months to come, then I'm confident that we can uh, have a government that reflects uh, those same values, uh, those same ideas. So uh, I'm grateful for all of you.
wealth education through paying teachers more, giving them higher, uh, uh, better professional development, making sure that uh, English language instruction uh, is matched with uh, the need for uh, children who uh, are coming to this country without uh, English being spoken in the home, that those programs are in place, and then making sure the college supports with a $4,000 tuition credit, an opportunity credit to ensure that all young people uh, in America can afford to go to college, $4,000 every student every year uh, in exchange for community service. That, I think, is something that could be extraordinarily helpful uh, in uh, allowing uh, Asian Americans to become to continue to pursue their American dreams. Uh, and finally, just one note uh, that it is uh, that is a priority, and that is uh, dealing with Asian American Pacific Island veterans of World War II uh, and veterans general. Uh, you know, uh, one specific example: uh, the, the approximately 250,000 Filipino troops who joined American forces to fight World War II. Uh, our country has yet to set the recognized sacrifice that these veterans have made for our country. Uh, I was a co-sponsor and strong advocate for the Filipino Veterans Equity Act in 2007, which recently passed the Senate. Uh, those are the Uh, that was Barack Obama speaking at UC Irvine by telephone last Saturday. Uh, this is Dan Zhang signing off for Subversity here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. For more information, go to the web at KUCI.org slash tilde D-T-S-A-N-G. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.